Please turn your Bibles to Mark 6, Hebrews 11, Acts 7. Uh, we will be having the volunteer training immediately after service at about 12.30. We're going to start, so we're going to clean up everything. And then at about 12.30, we're going to have a volunteer training. We're ordering pizza for everyone, for anyone that's staying. And, um, and it will be a brief training. We do know that tonight is the Super Bowl. And I do want to remind you that uh, during halftime, we are giving you an alternative tonight. We're not doing our typical Through the Bible series broadcast. But as soon as the second quarter ends, we're going to do a little study uh, online, live on Facebook, and uh, live on our website. And that study is going to consist of uh, what Nehemiah does when he finds out his countrymen are in trouble. And then we're going to pray for our country because our country needs a lot of prayer. Amen. So that's what we're going to do during halftime. Okay, um, so that will be tonight. Again, the volunteer training is immediately afterwards. We hope you can stick around for that. Um, and all that said, Mark 6. Today's message we've titled The Bad News, The Good News, and The Best News. Incidentally, about the book of Hebrews, it's an old joke, but my wife takes it quite literally, and that's why I always have to make the coffee in the house, because the Bible says Hebrews, and she never ceases to bring that to my attention. So I am the coffee maker. Incidentally. It's all good. Mark 6. And uh, we are continuing our story from last week about John the Baptist. And um, so we're just going to read through the whole story, but we're going to focus mostly today on verses um, 19 through 29. Now King Herod, verse 14, chapter 6. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said, it is Elijah. And yet others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? 
And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Father in heaven, there's something amazingly sobering about reading this passage. To this point, as we've studied the gospel, oh, we see the faithfulness of this man, John. Called from his mother's womb to make straight the path. Our calling as your children is really no different. Jesus, you're coming again. So as with every passage that we have the privilege of studying, we ask for the Holy Spirit to help give us understanding, to challenge us, and to renew and refresh our hearts. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the years, I have grown in my appreciation for country music. As a young man, it was not so. As a young man, I found the music sometimes a little bit depressing. And the running joke in my family, as in I think the rest of the world, was that if you played the country song backwards, the guy's pickup truck would start again, his girlfriend would come back, and his dog would be resurrected. Again, I've grown in my appreciation, so I'm not sitting up here to, to bash country music, but to anybody that ever tried to play one of their records backwards and play the song backwards, you know that that is a myth. It's a myth. If you play the song backwards, uh, everything will not be reversed that has happened. Now, in Christianity, I think sometimes there's a more disturbing myth. And that is, if you come up during an altar call, and you repent of your sins and ask Christ to be your Savior, that every bad decision will be undone. Every cent of money that you blue will be returned and every broken relationship would be fixed. And those of you that have been a Christian for more than a day, I think you know that that is not the case. He does in fact make all things new. That's the word of God. That's the promise. And the promise still stands because great is his faithfulness. However, there are teachings that we are responsible for from the pulpit, from God's word, to be faithful to so that you understand that some of the 
things that are being taught out there. And let me give you a few examples. That if you get to the three-point line for the game-winning shot and you utter the magic words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, swoosh. Or, better yet, if you're positive enough and faithful enough, every single person you pray for will receive physical healing. Or, if you treat the offering box back there like, a, like, a, like one of those slot machines, if you put 10 in, you're bound to get a check in the mail for 100 tomorrow, because God will increase when you sow your seed tenfold, and you'll get the money back. If you pray hard enough, you'll get the promotion. But let me ask you, gang, what happens when you don't make the game-winning shot? I said the verbs. What happens when the healing doesn't come? What happens when you don't get the promotion? What happens when you don't get that needed check? You see, God is so often misrepresented and the truth gets twisted. And then what happens is this, is that we blame God. Well, why didn't you come through? I went to church. I mean, I'm singing great is your faithfulness, but where is your faithfulness? Oh, he's faithful, gang. He's faithful. He's always faithful. The problem is this. The problem is often we don't teach the full counsel of God. And that's why a passage like today's, we don't skip over this. It wasn't like I had the opportunity to say, you know what? got to teach about John getting beheaded, and this is too depressing. Super Bowl Sunday, you know, we should have something a little bit more inspirational. Get the crowd going a little bit. And maybe we'll skip over this, go back to the beheading, like on Good Friday or something like that. And we'll talk about that then. But it doesn't work like that. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're teaching the whole counsel of God because in order to be able to interpret what's happening out there and see it through God's eyes, we need to present the Lord in His fullest, the whole counsel from Genesis to Revelation. And so last week we started on a story of John the Baptist. And when John comes on the, when John comes on the scene, again, he's arrested his message is repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, Herod throws him in prison, Herod doesn't like his message, Herodias doesn't like his message, but then after he's beheaded, they have trouble understanding who Jesus is. We made the point that the man without the spirit will never understand the things that come from the spirit because they're foolishness to him. So Herod couldn't figure out who Jesus was, the people couldn't figure out who Jesus was unless it had been given to them by God. But then we also saw that the man with the Spirit will understand and act in accordance with the things of the Spirit. This is what we looked at last week. We also looked at the fact that the man in the Spirit will have a tendency and is not exempt from the sorrows and griefs of this life. Do you remember how John the Baptist had sent from prison after a while? He was sitting there in prison and saying, well, are the good guys going to win or are they not? Are you the Messiah I was talking about or are you not? And do you remember what Jesus said back to him? You go report to John that the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, and the dead have been raised. So the word is given to John. The truth is given to John. And so for the man in the spirit, they're strengthened by the things of the spirit. But where does that leave us today? That leaves us today with a struggle that we're going to take a look at. And that's why we've called this the bad news, the good news, and the best news. Because hopefully we'll take a look at some things today that apply to our lives right now. Um, verse 16, I just want to read from there a little while uh, of chapter 6. It says, but when Herod heard 
This is John whom I beheaded. He had been raised from the dead. For Herod himself sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. So John wasn't exempt from being arrested for doing the right thing. His brother Philip's wife, for he had married her because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was just and holy, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So here again, Herod is trying to walk the fence. He's trying to please his wife Herodias, but he also enjoys hearing John, and he's trying to walk between the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit, and it doesn't work. It never works. You've got to choose one because there's no compatibility between the flesh and the spirit, just as there's no compatibility between the dark and the light. Amen. But here's the thing. When you're trying to walk that fence, eventually something is going to push you over. Eventually something is going to tip you over to the side. And it says here in verse 21, then an opportune day came. Evil always is looking for the opportunity. It was the story of Cain and Abel. And you remember that God said, listen, Cain, you're in a bad place right now. When Cain's offering was rejected, but Abel's was accepted, God basically said, Cain, you're in a bad place and you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And he didn't. And you know what happened is that the enemy was creeping. Sin was creeping and it took hold of him and it controlled him. Evil is always looking for the opportunity to, to make its way in. So an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for the nobles the high officers, the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced, pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want. And again, he said, up to half the kingdom. She asks for the head of John the Baptist. And because he wants to save face with everybody that he's made the promise to, he delivers. And so that's where we're going to start today. We're going to start considering this because this is the bad news. The bad news is this, is that here you have a man like John the Baptist. And when you think of John the Baptist, who's more faithful, right, than John the Baptist? Among men, Jesus said, no greater man. There's no one greater among men than John the Baptist, though he never performed a miracle. Who's greater among men than John? He was even Jesus' cousin. His diet reflected that he forsook the things of the world. The way that he dressed where he lived. And so you here you have this great man, and if Jesus said, well, this is the man, this is among men, there's nobody greater than him, then what we have in the rest of the story doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Because here, for being faithful, John gets arrested, and as he gets arrested while he's in prison on the drunken whim of Herod, because he's seduced by Herod's daughter after he married his brother's wife, on a drunken whim, what happens is he makes a silly oath and ends up taking the head of John the Baptist. That's, it. That's how his life ends. And you're sitting here saying, wow, here's this great man of God, and he comes to this end. Just like, it's over? Is there more to the passage? And the disciples take his headless corpse, and they go and they put it in a tomb. And that's the story. And maybe some of you would say, well, where's the happy ending there? If this is how the greatest of God's people get treated, what's going to happen to me? 
an accident, cancer, uh, persecution, death for my faith. What's going to happen to me? I mean, if John was this faithful, then, then what do I have to look forward to if Jesus wouldn't even protect John the Baptist from the drunken whim of this highly dysfunctional Jerry Springer-like family? Oh, do the research on Herod and Herodias. They are a pair. But there's no Hollywood happy ending here. Listen, in 1995, a movie came out. Um, it was the story of William Wallace. Story of Braveheart. And the story goes like this. Edward the Longshanks was one of the most brutal kings in the history of England. He had a hold of Scotland, and it was easy for him to have to keep hold of Scotland because he would always keep the leadership, the nobles divided, by offering them power and position and territories and money. And because of that, Scotland can't unite. And if you look at the way that Longshanks kind of gets in the mix, it's kind of the way that Satan does in the church today. In the beginning of the movie, Young William Wallace, his father and brother are brutally killed after being betrayed by an envoy of Longshanks' men. Many years later, Wallace returns to his homeland and all he wants to do is uh, find a wife and have some children and live and be happy, but that's not possible. Because shortly after he marries the love of his life, she's also brutally killed by Longshanks' men and it incites him to take a small band of men and lead a rebellion that inspires the country. And the music swells and they win so many of the battles. But at the end of the movie, one of the last scenes in the movie is very disturbing. It's not the Hollywood happy ending. It's Wallace basically being drawn, quartered, tortured, and then ultimately beheaded. And it's one of the last scenes of the movie and you sit there and you go, what just happened? They just killed Mel Gibson. I mean, come on. You're sitting there, and up to that point, you know, Mel Gibson was always playing the heroes. I'm sitting there, and I'm in my mid-20s. I'm mortified. You don't kill Mel Gibson on screen. You just don't do it. It wasn't the Hollywood happy ending that everybody had hoped for and that everybody expected. But let me ask you something. In Scripture, periodically, does it look like the bad guys are winning sometimes? Does it look like evil is winning out sometimes? I think so. You can look at the story of Samson. You look at the story sometimes of Joseph. If you look at Joseph's story, it's like, what? But there's a passage in Hebrews, and I would invite you to turn there if you would, please. It's Hebrews 11. And this typically is referred to in Scripture as the Hall of Faith. It's always interesting going to a Hall of Fame where they recount the great performances of athletes and entertainers and, and musicians. Here you have the Hall of Faith, and what a great hall to be part of. And some very interesting people, and people that you would not expect, are part of the Hall of Faith. But working up to this through chapter 11, it talks about the faith of Abraham. It talks about the faith of Sarah. It talks about the faith of Moses. And verse 30 says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Yes, 
victory over the enemy. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Yes, Rahab is delivered. Good stuff. And what more shall I say? For time would even fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Yes, right? There's victory. That's the Christian life right there, right? There's more though. Watch. And there's no mistake in this, that it's the same verse, verse 35, after all those victories have been recounted, in the middle of the verse, there's a change. And watch what it says. It says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not, listen, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, in dens, and in caves of the earth. And you see, that really is our first point today. The first point is a really simple one. It's that the man of God isn't guaranteed a happy ending as this world esteems happy endings. That's the bad news. And that's about as bad as it'll get, but it is bad news. The man of God will not get, isn't guaranteed a happy ending on this earth as the world esteems happy endings. Now that's clear just through that passage in Hebrews alone, but also the passage of John the Baptist. During Nero's rule, Great men of God were killed. The emperors that took place, the kings that came into power after Nero, Peter was crucified upside down. It's believed his wife was crucified upside down also. Andrew, another believer, was crucified. Thomas was run through with the spear. Matthias was burned to death. The Bible's Matthias. He was the other disciple that took the place. He was burned to death and then beheaded. The man of God or the woman of God is not guaranteed a happy ending as Hollywood esteems happy endings. 1956, it was called Operation Aka. Five missionaries, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Peter Fleming, Ed Mueller, and Roger Yowden, they went to Ecuador to preach to a group of, um, of indigenous that had... Um, they had never heard the gospel. And they were considered savages. And when they went into this area, over a misunderstanding, all five of them were slaughtered. Last year we played a video of a man named Nabil Qureshi who worked with Ravi Zacharias. And Qureshi was an American Christian, and he was a convert from Islam. He was a speaker with Ravi Zacharias from 2013 until 2016. On August, on August 30th, 2016, Qureshi announced 
that he was in the advanced stages of stomach cancer. Qureshi took to his Facebook page to inform fans and followers of his illness, saying the prognosis was quite grim. This is an announcement that I never expected to make, but God in his infinite and sovereign wisdom has chosen me for this refining, and I pray he will be glorified through my body and my spirit, Qureshi wrote. My family and I have received the news, um, and the prognosis is grim. And it was shortly after that, September 16, 2017, at the age of 34, despite the fact that the church was on their faces, fasting and praying, that Nabil took his last breath. And we sit there and we say, okay, Pastor, it's Super Bowl Sunday. This is a lot more depressing than I wanted to walk into. All I would say to you is hang on. Listen, gang, if these are the ends of the stories, then we would get up and we would walk out of the church. We would say, what is this? Because you're not guaranteed an exemption from the things that people struggle with. And maybe there are certain points in your life where people would look at you and they'd say, well, where's God's favor on their life now? But let me ask you, didn't they do the same thing to Jesus as he was hanging on the cross? Well, come on, come on down. Physician, heal thyself. And they taunted him and they mocked him. And the greatest man that ever walked this earth who was God was not spared experiencing death. That's the bad news. We're done with it now. And it is bad news if you don't understand the rest of the story. Because here's the good news. The good news is that God is aware of and uses all unhappy endings to advance His glorious kingdom. This is the good news. That He's aware of all these things. Listen, John understood that when Jesus came on the scene, His ministry was in effect over. It wasn't like, well, Jesus will have some people. I'll have some people. John was of the mindset that he must decrease so that Jesus could increase, but I'm sure he didn't envision it quite the way that it played out. I'm sure he didn't see himself rotting in some prison cell and beheaded under the drunken whim of Herod and Herodias. And yet somehow this is part of God's plan. Now, do we see this in Scripture? This is a through line in Scripture. Listen, God doesn't prevent... Joseph from being sold into slavery by his brothers, right? He doesn't, he doesn't prevent him from being falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. He's falsely accused. He's thrown into prison for years and you're sitting there saying, this makes no sense to me. This makes no sense. Well, let me ask you something. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph... By the end of Joseph's story, it is not apparent what God was doing. That God was doing something and He was strategically placing him. And is it possible that in your life, through whatever it is that you're going through right now, that God is being very strategic about the struggles that have been designed specifically for you in order to not only grow you in character, but advance His kingdom. And He's making all of it into what we call a win-win. So that there's nothing that you're going through that has gotten past God. It wasn't like when Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that the God was in heaven saying, Michael, Gabriel, uh, we have a problem here. Joseph is getting wrongly persecuted. No, he basically says to expect it. When they say all sorts of evil about you and falsely for my sake, you can expect that. But he also says, slow your roll because great is your reward. 
Great is your reward. Because they did the same thing to the prophets. The same thing. So is it possible that God knows what He's talking about when He says that all things truly work together for good to those that love God? And is it possible Joseph understood this when as his father was dying, the brothers were scared to death, the ones that had sold him into slavery, they were kneeling before him, they were standing before him, and he said, listen, you meant it for evil what you did to me. But what you intended for evil, God meant for good. And here he was, and only then could he understand it. Listen, there may be some parts in your life right now that are playing out in a way that you never dreamt of. You're sitting here saying, I never imagined that it... Listen, I never imagined at 47 years old I would be a pastor. This was far from anything that I wanted to do in my mid-20s. Trust me when I tell you. But maybe some of you in this life are sitting right now like, I never expected to be here and the situation is so dark and it's so dank and I can't understand that if God is working things together and if I am His child and if He does love me, I can't understand what He's doing. Understand this then. Is that according to His Word, He's using this moment in your life. He uses the tragedy he uses the challenges. He uses the things that you feel are crushing you in order to build you and grow you in the way that He desires. Isn't that the way that it's discussed in Scripture? What happens to the seed when it goes into the ground? It produces, right? When the seed goes into the ground and the seed is buried, it produces. That makes sense to us. Now think about it like this. When Jesus died on the cross, because when Jesus was here walking this earth, He was one man in one place at one time, while he was in the flesh. And when he died on the cross, it gave birth to the church. And now what we have is a whole bunch of people running around the world with the Holy Spirit and the power given by the Holy Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So that he's working things together, despite what it looks like on the outside. In Enterprise, Alabama, there's a most unusual monument erected in a prominent place in town. At the top of the monument is a large statue of a bull weevil. A bull weevil. This pastor writes, he goes, when I was in Enterprise for a revival meeting and saw that monument, it struck me as being strange. For I used to raise cotton and I never did feel kindly towards bull weevils. If you've if you're familiar with that process, it's like bull weevils are devastating to the cotton industry. They were cotton farmers' nemesis. But then I learned the story of that monument. For years in that part of Alabama, cotton had been king, as it has been throughout much of the South. Then in 1919, the bull weevil absolutely wiped out the cotton crops in that area. The farmers decided to try planting peanuts. The peanut crop grew well into that soil. They received a good price for their crop, and so year after year, peanuts became their major crop. That county became known as the peanut capital of the world. See, happy endings, right? It became known as the peanut capital of the world. So the people erected that monument, which contains the following inscription, listen, in profound appreciation of the bull weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity, this monument is erected by the citizens of Enterprise Coffee House, Alabama. Who would have thought that God would even use an ugly, pesky bull weevil? What is the bull weevil that he's used in your life to strengthen you and that he's working together for good because you are one that loves God? 
You're going through pain. You're going through challenges. You're not exempt. C.S. Lewis wrote it like this. God whispers to us in our pleasure. Listen. God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Your struggle right now is a megaphone that He's using. If we would only give that struggle to Him, that's His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so the good news is this. The good news is that God can use all the unhappy endings to advance the kingdom and strengthen the character of His children. So God is always doing this. And that will bring us to our best news. The best news, again, if you look at the end of the passage, all we can read according to Mark 6, the passage that we've chosen for study, Mark 6, 14-29, if you look at the end of the passage, again, it looks very bleak. And maybe you could say, Pastor, I understand that there's good news. I understand that God is working all things together for good to those that love Him. I get that. I'll go there with you. But what if I were to tell you that according to His Word, if you understand Genesis to Revelation, that things get better. Better. And this is the best news. The best news is this. For all that belong to Him on this earth, the end is only the beginning. And we have a most glorious ending. You have a most glorious ending because the end in God's economy here is only the beginning. And what do I mean by that? Well, you get hints throughout Scripture. Psalm 116, verse 15, which says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever been puzzled by it when you do hear it? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. How can something that is so devastating to us be something that God considers to be precious. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. That makes no sense. How could it make sense that Paul would say this, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Or how could Jesus say, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. How could the disciples... Take a look at what we hold to be most precious, this life, and agree to put their own bodies, their own lives, their own futures on the chopping block. What did they see? What did they experience? And let me preface to you by asking you this. What would you die for? A family member you love? Maybe a friend? Definitely your children? What are the things that you would die for? Because the disciples were able to look at their lives and say, listen, you know what? This means nothing because I know what's coming. Jesus promised them. He said, listen, in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. Even now I go to prepare a place that where I am going, you may also be. And He promised to come again and receive them unto Himself. And so what we have is a glorious promise that awaits all that are called the children of God. But here's the thing, you're only going to live for that when you believe it's better than what's here. Right? I've given this example in church so many times that 
I hesitate to do it again, but let me explain to you what I'm talking about here. When the Bible tells us, when it talks of strongholds, we talk of uh, a relationship that's kind of like this. It has a hold of you, you have a hold of it. Now, whether it be a, your codependent relationship, whether it be drugs, whatever it is, whatever the thing that's holding on to you, your anger, your anxiety, it's holding on to you, you're holding on to it, somebody has to let go. We only let go when we find something better to grab on to. That's just a review for us, because we've talked about that before. We're only going to let go of something that we think is worth holding on to. But listen, when it comes to living for the things of heaven above, you have to believe that that is greater than what you're holding on to below here. See, the idea of the stronghold that we always use, it can very much very much come into play when we talk about our sending, setting our mind on the things of heaven above, not on the things of earth below. So our choices will reflect the things that we prioritize and what we believe. So are you holding on to the things of earth so tightly that you're preventing yourself from experiencing the things that heaven has for you because we're so comfortable and, and I need to have it done like this and I'm expecting it to be done like that. And because of that, you're holding on to the things of the earth. Or have you set your mind and your heart on the things of heaven? Because of the glorious ending that is promised us. So let me ask you, what happened when John the Baptist took his last breath? Absent from the body was present with the Lord, right? Absent with the body means that he was present with the Lord. So that's the first thing that happens. But the other thing that happens is this, is that we understand that in God's presence is the fullness of joy, peace that surpasseth understanding, and unfailing, unconditional love. That sounds pretty good. We would sit here in church saying, Jesus, come back. I hope you're praying that anyway. But it's something glorious that awaits the child of God. A promise that awaits us, and that's what we're living here for. Anything that you've been given, be it a car, be it gas in that car, be it the clothing on your back, the coffee in front of you, the meal, whatever you've been given here, you understand has been given by God and is to be used for God to advance the kingdom of heaven. And unless you're doing that, what you're going to find is yourself frustrated and struggling with the things of this world. So you leave this earth and you're in the presence of God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So if John has a happy ending, that's one of the reasons why John has not only a happy ending, but a glorious ending. Because Jesus said, listen, when you're persecuted, great is your reward. John must have got a good one. Because consider this. No matter what we believe about heaven, a lot of the times we have struggle holding on to the truth of Scripture, and here's why. As you consider the story of John the Baptist, here's John in prison. Now John is most likely, you would concede with me that he's probably familiar with the Old Testament. So the executor is coming, the guy that the executioner is coming towards him, and John has this verse in his back pocket. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and, a, and then all of a sudden lights out. Blackout. What just happened? 
Okay, I just quoted the verse. The Bible has this promise that says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper and not to harm. And, and now my head is rolling around on the floor. What just happened here, God? Don't want to be morbid. But just consider the implication. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's plans to prosper you. We hang on to that word with all of our heart, don't we? Oh, I want to be prospered. I want to be prospered. So how do you reconcile, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you? What? How do you reconcile these two ideas? Here's how. You understand that God's ideas for prosperity and abundance pertain to the spiritual Yes, he can bless somebody with the financial. Yes, he can bless somebody down here with promotion. Yes, he can bless somebody down here with a platform. But God's promises of prosperity have to do with something much bigger and something that we all miss, that when we take our last breath on earth, we are in his presence. That's heaven. That's heaven. It's not about the pearly gates. It's not about the streets paved with gold. It's you trust that you're going to be with him in his presence. The promise still stands. Listen, if you have a problem understanding that, in one of his books, A.M. Hunter relates the story of a dying man who asked his Christian doctor to tell him something about the place to which he was going. As the doctor fumbled for a reply, he heard a scratching at the door and he had his answer. Do you hear that? He asked the patient. It's my dog. I left him downstairs, but he's grown impatient and has come up and hears my voice. He has no notion what's inside this door, but he knows that I'm here. Isn't it about the same with you? You don't know what lies beyond the door, but you know your master is there. That's heaven. We know who's waiting for us. You're not going to get to heaven and be like, I don't like the accommodations here. <laughs> you're not going to get to heaven and you're going to say, well, there's, you know, there's a game going on and there's not much parking. You're not going to get to heaven and you're going to say, well, you know, the air conditioning's not working today or the lights are off or that the conditions here are imperfect. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to see Jesus and that's going to be it. Wow. 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 You're not going to be saying, well, what if this relative, they might not have been a believer. Did they make it? You're not going to care at that moment. You're going to be in his presence. And that is the fullness of joy. It's love unlike you've ever experienced. Here you've gotten tastes of it. Some of you have experienced some wonderful loves on this earth. But you haven't experienced God's love, not in the fullness of his presence like this. So all of these things are the things that await. And that's why we have not just a happy ending. We don't have a happy Hollywood ending. We have a glorious ending. A glorious ending. I gave you the story of William Wallace a couple of minutes ago. And we conceded that one of the last scenes of the movie was pretty brutal. You sit there and you watch and you're like, oh, this kind of stinks. All right? It says that Longshanks, after he had him beheaded, had different parts of his body to the different corners of England, just as a warning for anybody that would come against Longshanks' kingdom. And if that's how the story ends, then you would walk out and you'd be like, man, this really kind of stinks. But that's not the last scene of the movie. In the very last scene of the movie, what you have is a worn-out, tired bunch of Wallace's men, now under a different leader, one that had actually betrayed him. And now he takes the lead. 
And he looks at the group of tired soldiers and he says, listen, you bled with Wallace, bleed with me. And if you remember the scene, the music swells. One of the soldiers throws his sword uh, and it lands in the middle of the field. And you have all of these Scots running towards this huge English army that has greatly outnumbered them. And the dialogue reads like this. In the year of our Lord, 1314, patriots of Scotland, starving and outnumbered, charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen and won their freedom. 2,000 years ago, a man that was God walked this planet and he won your freedom. And the Bible says this, who the sun sets free is free indeed. That is the gospel message. That is the gospel truth. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so while you're feeling beaten up and you're feeling, where's my happy ending? Where's my Hollywood happy ending? Hey, on this earth you might not get it, but if you understand the truth of the gospel message, what you do understand is that things are coming to a glorious conclusion. And you're part of that. Every time the world kind of just kicks the snot out of you. Could have probably used a better term. Every time the world beats up on you. Every time you feel like you're getting persecuted. Ching, 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 ching. Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. These have come. So that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus. I want to close you with a couple of quotes by C.S. Lewis, who in his seven-book Narnia series, in this called The Last Battle, it's when the series comes to a conclusion. And there's just this beautiful quote that we can apply to the Christian life. And as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last... They were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. One more quote. When we see his face, we'll respond as they did, and we'll say this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Father in heaven, we just thank you again. We thank you for your truth, Lord, that we can look at a story like we see today of John the Baptist. If we were to just isolate that story, how tragic, how sad, how terrible. But we know the end of the book. And we know who wins. And we know our role in this, Lord. So we just thank you, God. 
Thank you that we have hope. We live in hope. We live with hope. When we begin to lose focus on that, bring us back to the cross, God. Let your Holy Spirit gently prompt us. Hit us upside the head if you need to. But get us back to the cross. And we know who's waiting for us. You will be the only one in heaven that has scars. And he wears them for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, would you stand?